Talk with Ben Tompkins. Hey, that's me. What's good, everybody? This is Real Talk. I'm Ben Tompkins. We are presented by nobody currently, but if we continue to do more interviews like this, that's going to change pretty soon. I got to think that's going to change pretty soon. And my guest today is James Sims, and I have been wanting to do this for months and months and months, and man, it finally happened, and I cannot wait for you to hear some of these stories on today's episode because my man was the first black teacher in Oldham County. He has lived an incredible life. He has carved out a nice piece of life for himself coming from a guy that grew up in Mississippi without running water, electricity, and coming from a time where it wasn't okay. It it was illegal and you could really face some pretty nasty things if you were a black person and confronted the white person. And growing up from that, how James learned to navigate life, not only white people, but just bosses and living in the army and serving there and, and just all throughout his life, he's had to figure it out. And when we finally met and linked up and just, you know, struck up conversation, seeing this guy in the gym, he would always be like, hey, young fella. And I knew this was somebody that I really wanted to get on the microphone. So I'm really happy that it happened. And we start with James's childhood, how he grew up, where he grew up, and then going through, like I said, the army, and then everything that I just covered at the beginning there, but then working on the railroads later in life, going back to teaching, uh, sharing some really good stories about the Beasley Boys. I can't wait for you to hear about the Beasley Boys. Um, uh, you know, before we did this, James had brought me over to his house and showed me some newspaper clippings, and I got to see a very young John Ramsey and Muhammad Ali, and James had some pictures like that, and uh, we talked about the champ, we talked about what it was like when he declared that he was Muslim, and how Louisville reacted to that, and he shares uh, the one big thing that he wishes that he could share with everybody. If there was a way to get a message to every single person in the world, what would that be? That's where we end today's interview. So this is going to be about an hour and a half. It's awesome. I, I, I absolutely, this is probably one of my more favorite interviews that I've done. If you enjoy this as well, please share it with somebody that you think would get a kick out of this or somebody that um, just really enjoys great interviews. I think this probably falls into that box. So share it with somebody. Please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Go check out some of the other episodes, some of the other interviews that I've done, or some of the Uber Stories episodes. If you're listening for the very first time, welcome into the show, my friends. This show is about people. When I drive for Uber and I do the Uber Stories episodes, it's about the people that I meet driving for Uber. And those episodes are basically taxicab confessions meets Dr. Phil. And when I do interviews, most of those are about those people that I'm having on. And when I do my specials, those are really about me. And those are kind of a blueprint of me fixing my life, kind of one episode at a time. So there's a lot here. And I think that if you check out some of the other episodes, you might enjoy them. And so please, if you do, subscribe, rate, and review. And if you're not on Apple Podcasts, then you can definitely leave a review on the Facebook page. Um, that is at Real Talk W Benny T. I also have an Instagram page that is the same handle, Real Talk W Benny T. 
And if you want to check out any of the other stuff that I'm doing on TikTok or Twitter or my personal Instagram, I am across all of those social media channels at BennyTomp18. I have two submission uh, segments. One, I want to hear your Uber stories. I know you've got some doozies. So you can send those to me at realtalkwbennyt at gmail.com and um, you know, just be like, hey, don't put my name in there or I'll leave them anonymous or however you want to do it. But just write me up an email with your Uber stories, your best one, your most craziest one, savage, whatever it is. Um, the, the Uber driver that gave you the best piece of therapy or uh, advice that you just really needed to hear at that moment. Like, I want to hear all that stuff. So please send me those. And also, life advice. A lot of what I do on this show is life advice. Not only for myself, not only from or with the guests that I bring on, but also with my writers. I mean, that's kind of the Dr. Phil part of the show is there's a lot of life advice. There's a lot to be learned here. And that's really why I do this. I'm, I'm, wildly fascinated with people, what makes us tick, and what we can learn, how we can basically not continue to fuck up our lives, basically. That's 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 really what it is. So, if you would like to get some life advice, some real talk from your boy, and you might not get the chance to ride with me in the car, but you can email me or DM me, okay, across any of those social media channels, hit me up, or send it to that same email realtalkwbennyt at gmail.com and I would be happy to feature that on the uh, next life advice segment. That's uh, about all I got, guys. I hope you enjoy this one. This is my man, James Sims. All right, I'm joined now by my man, James Sims. We've been waiting to do this one for a few months now and uh, it's really good to finally get you in the studio, man. What's good? Thank you, thank you. How you doing? I, I got to say this one because I know everybody has to say this. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course. Yeah. It's good to have you. <laughs> We've been waiting on you so patiently, you know? My All people right. been waiting on this one to drop, man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like they are a bad headache, but we'll yeah. take it. <laughs> so uh, let's, let's start and set this thing up. You know, we'll start at the beginning. And um, first of all, I guess we met at the gym and just kind of struck up conversation in the mornings and you'd be doing your thing over there in the mirrors and getting your workout on and then you would just look at me and say hey young fella hey. <laughs> <laughs> so we just sort of struck up a friendship so, and yeah. uh finally as we had enough of these conversations and we talked and uh I said, you know, this is a really interesting person. This this guy's got some stories. He's been around a long time, you know. He's he's seen some shit, right? So I need to get this guy over on the microphone. So uh, why don't you tell us where you're from and uh, how long you've been living in Louisville? All right. I was born and raised in Clarksdale, Mississippi, 10-22-45. And I was... I, Came to Louisville. Uh, came to Louisville in search of a teaching job. When I graduated from college, I graduated from Alcorn State University. It's in Lorman, Mississippi. Uh, I never was like a great sports hero, but you know, I'm like every other kid. I was on the high school baseball team, and I thought I was the next Jackie Robinson. And <laughs> if I can tell this one little quick story, and I think you've heard it before, sure, because. Uh, Every kid, when he's like, you know, in high school, I think I was like maybe in the 10th grade, and 
you know, baseball season was getting ready to start and everything, and I, I go to my mother and I say, Mom, baseball's practice start Monday. I got to have a glove and some new cleats because back in those days you bought your own bat, your club, your cleats and all that. You had to have that for yourself. And she had said, No, James, I told you earlier I gave you money for Christmas. Save your money when baseball season start. You can get you your little uniform. You get your uh, your glove and your cleats and everything. Well, I'm 16 and I have the big head and everything. And so I look at my mom and that's all right. Don't buy them for me because when I go pro, I'm not buying you a house and I'm not buying you a car. <laughs> <laughs> you know, back then. Athletes like today, as soon as they go pro, what do they do? Buy mom a brand new house, buy mom a car and everything. Mm-hmm. So my mom was like old school. She was looking at me. And my dad was out on the front porch doing something. She called him in and say, Monroe, come in here and listen to what this little sucker telling me. <laughs> <laughs> He's talking about when he goes pro, he's not going to buy me a house and a car. I say, I was at the last game you played in. You struck out five times. You didn't catch any balls that was hit to you. <laughs> she said, if you go pro, <laughs> she said, if you just get out of my house and make a whole life for yourself, I'd be happy with you. Don't worry about doing nothing for me. But anyway, that was my reality that I was just a regular person, you know. And then from then on, I started studying Math, English, social studies, and all that. You know? How did you ever get the glove? Uh, well, you know, sooner or later, somebody's going to give you a glove. Yeah. You know? I had gloves. I had old gloves anyway because I, I thought I was a hot shot first baseman, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then I also was a catcher. I like to catch too, you know, yes. But anyway, and I always want to say this. Growing up in Mississippi without running water, without electricity and all the other comforts of life, we loved our life at home with our parents. We Hey, we loved life every day. So I just want people to know we love life. Do not feel sorry for James. How many people lived in your town or the place that you lived in Mississippi? Clarksdale population was about maybe 15,000. Small town. Everybody knew everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the first part of my life, until I was maybe 13 years old, I lived on a farm. And, you know, we chopped cotton, picked cotton. And by the way, young fella, I'm one of those kind of guys, if I get to ranting and carrying on and it start like, don't nobody want to hear this, say, hey, James, let's move to something else. I got, I got you. <laughs> all right. So, all right. Yeah, no, but go with that. So you're picking cotton, and this is um, after slavery's abolished, obviously. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I think, what was it? I'm glad we got this new holiday, June 10th. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something like that. But I was always under the impression that slavery was abolished in, like, 1863 when Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. Right. Yeah, but anyway, it's a holiday, and is, isn't it a paid holiday? So I think know. so, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a paid holiday. I think, so. I think a lot of if people just got If they made it a holiday, out. I'm okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. But you were still picking, so are they paying you at that point? Because wasn't there a period of, like, indentured um, yeah, well, servants? Yeah, we right? were, at that time, 
my grandfather was what was known as a sharecropper. Mm-hmm. And a sharecropper is like the owner of the plantation, no, the size of your family. See, if my grandfather had nine, he had 11 children. So he had almost like 100 acres of land that he cultivated. He planted cotton, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And then at the end of the year, the guy that owned the land, they would split the money 50-50. Mm-hmm. Now, the bad thing about that was back in those days, if you were a sharecropper, you bought your seeds from the guy that owned the land, you bought your food, you bought everything that you needed for the whole year, and he would keep a record out of it. And then at the end of the year, what you would do was like he would settle everything up, say your family raised 100 bales of cotton. Well, I think a bale of cotton nowadays, I'm not sure what it costs, but, you know, a bale of cotton is a lot of money because back in Mississippi when I was a kid and people that's like 60 years over, older, they were they will understand this little thing. It was a saying, cotton is king. Mm-hmm. You know, oil is king now and stuff like back in those days, cotton was king. So if you own a cotton plantation, you made money because the United States shipped that cotton all over the world. So, you know, so, you know, you made a lot of money. But the the bad thing is like uh, I love my grandfather and I love my father because they grew up in a time in Mississippi where if you were a black man, you wasn't able to confront a white person if they were doing you wrong, if they wasn't, you know, uh, paying you what you're supposed to pay. Mm-hmm. But my grandfather and my father, they were the kind of guys like, this is the situation we're living under. I have to feed my family, so I'm going to devise ways that I can get along with the owner of the plantation that won't be in a strife for me and won't be in a strife for him. And those are the ways that I conduct my life with people now. You know, it's like like I don't hold no uh, racial prejudice against white people. I don't hold no, you know, I just I'm just a person because I think about, like, Man, God have let me live this long to come from a place in Mississippi where I did not have running water, you know, electricity, mm-hmm. you know, going to the bathroom outside in what is called an outhouse <laughs> that me and my little brother burned down a couple of times because it's cold in the wintertime and you're going outside to use the bathroom at 6 o'clock in the morning you take the Sears Roebuck catalog. Because that was our toilet tissue, Seals Roebuck catalog. The magazine? Yeah, that was your toilet tissue. That's what you, <laughs> you know, I don't want to get graphic about it, but that was your toilet tissue. And you took a little paper out of it and burned to keep warm in there, too. So we, kids, 9, 10 years old, every once in a while we were going to forget to put the fire out, and we we go back in the house and... We see flames coming out of the outhouse. You know? <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> but anyway, all those are like great experiences, you know. Yeah. How many times did you guys burn it down? I, I know we burned it down at least twice. Because <laughs> I remember my mother saying, if y'all burn it down one more time. <laughs> yeah. But that was okay. And the reason I say this, man, is like I want people nowadays to know. Life is not hard, man. Life is easy. All you got to do is get up every day. You know, hey, and a lot of people 
you know, think life is hard. They think going to work is hard and stuff like that. And uh, I always remember every job that I went and applied for, most of the time I got hired. So, you know. But anyway, it's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm uh, I'm thinking about what that must have been like growing up. And I guess what you were saying with um, kind of like that go along to get along mentality, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, Right, with your dad and your grandpa yeah. is it's like you're submitting to the facts of reality at that point. Yeah. Li- life as a black guy in America at that point. Yeah. And you're like, all right, man, well, I can, uh, you know, try and go against the grain and prove a point or I can just make sure that me and my family are taken care of and put my head down and just go along and get along, right? Yeah, and, uh, and but they had their limits. They know when to, they knew how to conduct themselves and stuff sure. like that. So, you know, and I learned, I learned just hanging, just hanging around them. That's why the little grandkids, everywhere I go, every time I go to Walmart, every time I go to Kroger's, I take them with me because I want them to see how I interact with people. Mm-hmm. So when they get grown, they can know how to interact with people. And sometimes you be in confrontation with people, and then I'm the kind of a person I diffuse all you know confrontations when I have with people because I I look at the shootings and stuff like I cannot visualize myself as a teenager getting shot by another teenager because I'm always gonna like and you know everybody knows when you're a kid growing up. You out on the playground, you know what I'm saying? You're playing basketball. I, when I was a kid coming up, you'd be on the playground. Who's got next? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So as long as you win, you you up. But then there's guys like who didn't win often like me. So I'm sitting on the playground. I got next. You know. Well, the bad guys, the bullies, they come up. Who's got next? Can I go up with you? I don't want to go up with him, but I know he's a bad guy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, man, you can go up with me, you know, and stuff like that. And then when he was hollering and screaming at me in the game about making a mistake, I was like, you know, hey, hey, we out here just playing, having fun. This is nothing for me to have drama about. Mm-hmm. And then if I saw the situation was getting ready to get out of hand, I just – I see you guys. Mom called me. I'm ready to go home. You know? And and like if you always like carry yourself like me, I will never go anywhere looking like a bomb. Everywhere I go, I'm gonna put on a nice outfit, stuff like this, you know, something, you know, and stuff like that. So if you feel good about yourself and then somebody start tearing you down, you just say, Hey, that's you. <laughs> you know, yeah. you can say what you want about me, you know. Right. And, you know, I don't care, you know. But I'm not going to let you just come up and start choking me. But if you let me walk away, I'm, I'll leave. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, I know you've been in this situation before because you're a handsome young man. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're a young kid, you know, when you're going to visit a girl, uh-huh. and then when you get over there, there's another guy there, right? You've ever had that situation before? Oh, man. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yeah, yeah, you know, every, every young kid have that situation. Like just hanging out, right? Yeah, you there. go over there, and I'm going to see my girl. And then there's another guy over there to see her at the same time. You, oh, you know, God. So, you know, as trouble start like that, I say, hey, God, call me when he leaves, you know? <laughs> 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 yeah, all right, man. 
<laughs> oh man! All right, so let's bring it back to childhood real quick. Yeah. Okay, so your grandpa was he a slave? No, no, because my grandfather was born in eighteen, maybe seventy six or something like that. But my grandmother, her mother was a slave. Yeah, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I tell this one quick story. My grandmother, she said when she was a little kid, her mother would be sitting on the porch and she would say, something bad happened in our family, something very bad. And I'm trying to recollect while I'm thinking, because I know history pretty good, but it was this guy that led the first slave revolt. I can't think of his name right now. But uh, I got it in my book at home. But the guy that led the first slave revolt was supposed to be in our bloodline and everything. So I like to tell people that to say, like, yeah, I got famous people in my family and stuff like that. But uh, it'll come to me sooner or later. The name of him? Yeah, the guy that he he led the first. He was named. uh, uh, But anyway, yeah. How was he supposed to be in your bloodline? Uh, he was supposed to have been my grandmother's, my grandmother's mother's brother. He was supposed to have been that. Oh, <laughs> look who I, I said, man. Everybody, I said, are your phones on silent? He said, man, ain't nobody gonna call me. <laughs> right. right there. All right. Was his name Nat Turner? Nat Turner, yeah, Nat okay. Turner, that's right. him, yeah, Nat cool. Turner. He's you see cool. why you need an iPhone <laughs> right there, baby? You got a little but flip anyway, phone ringing supposed, in the studio. It's supposed to be in our bloodline, and every time we have a, like a, a family reunion, which we were scheduled to have one last year, but the pandemic mm-hmm. closed it down and everything. But yeah, Nat Turner, he was supposed to be in our bloodline and everything. So and he just didn't marry in, right? That's not, like he would have married into your bloodline? No, like my grandmother, mm-hmm. who was like Melvina Maiden, and she was like, when she died, she was like 96 years old. But anyway, she t- would tell us the story of kids that when she was a little girl, her mother would tell her about people, somebody in our family, and Nat Turner had done, had you know, had done something real bad, you know, because I think they... I think they kill people with knives, guns, hatchets, and different stuff like that, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, maybe it was justified. I don't know, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But anyway, I just throw that little tidbit in there so if somebody want to know something about my bloodline, you know, Nat Turner. That's all I know. That's you cool. Know, she said she would say stuff like that. But anyway, I always want to impart to people, man, hey, man, Life is beautiful, man. You hear me? <laughs> yeah. Because I, what I was going to get back to, I was saying, here yeah, I am a kid. I'm growing up in Mississippi. I'm looking in a a magazine, like a magazine. They got stuff for the future and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I see these phones right here while people are talking to each other and they can see each other on the phone like they're doing now. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying to myself, there is no way that can ever happen. No way. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I, I you know, that little tidbit. Yeah, and now here we are. You yeah, know? we are here right we are. there with that. Yeah. You know, so, but anyway. 
No, I just think it's interesting because you meet people today, like we talk about these yeah. things, these these historical things in America, yeah. and we think about them as happening so long ago, right? But then you meet, you know, I meet you, and yeah. you're older, so it's like, wow, this guy probably had family members, you know? Like, because I think about like, oh, wow, my grandpa was alive in the 60s, right? <laughs> oh, you know yeah. what I mean? But like your grandparents were alive in like the 1860s the, or, or around that time, that time right? Yeah. So you're thinking, okay, well, what was going down around that time? Oh, shit. Like there was some really uh, difficult things going on in America at that point, right? So just having that in your background and growing up, to see everything that's unfolded over the last, you know, 75 years, you've seen a lot of change happen. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll tell you one thing. I march, I march with, uh, not Martin Luther King, but I have been, I have been in the same church that Martin Luther King was in. Jackie Robinson was in right in Clarksdale, Mississippi. The head of the NAACP there was a guy named Aaron Henry. And, uh, I think I was 16 years old, and, you know, just like the people want to march with Black Lives Matter now, because at the time, we was like, hey, you're going to be on the news, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> it's for a worthy cause. Sure. So, and that's the greatest thing that ever happened to me, because I got a chance to go spend two weeks in jail. Now, you know, like, like now with the Black Lives Matter I'm not 100% sure, but I think as soon as you get locked up that night, the next day somebody's coming to bail you out of jail because you don't, you don't spend a whole lot of time in jail. Right. But that was the same system back in those days. The NAACP had told us when you guys, you guys, I was like in a sit-in demonstration. That's why you go to a lunch counter. Back in those days, you couldn't go to a lunch counter and order food. Mm-hmm. So... Me, I was, I think I was the only boy and four girls. We went to like a, a lunch corner where they sold food and everything. And then as soon as we went in, all the waitresses went to running and hollering and screaming. And then the police came and everything. But this is the one thing I like about myself because I was sitting there. So, you know, in a lot of restaurants, they have like little uh, dessert trays sitting right there while you could look they got some good banana pie you know some chocolate pie yeah. you know and stuff like that so i'm sitting there so all the waitresses take off running so i know i'm going to get arrested right i say well i think i'll eat me a piece of pie before i go to jail <laughs> <laughs> and i always remember the other girls that was there say now james you can't do that because you know i'm a ham you know so i say well we going to jail, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you know. So you got some pie. So I just grabbed me a piece of pie, just spoon and fork was right there. I think I took my last bite when the police handcuffed me. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, what I, what I want to say is like, they were supposed to get us out of jail the next day, mm-hmm. but the money was slow coming in, and we were down in Mississippi, so... They would say, you guys going to have to wait until we get the money to bail you out. Well, it took them two weeks. And I am so glad because when I left out of that jail, I'm 16 years old. I left out of that jail, and I looked at everybody that was in there with me, and I say, I can tell you right now, 
I am never going to jail again. <laughs> and if you got time, I'd like to tell this story. This is how they fed you. Sure. Every morning they would come by with three garbage cans. You get fed good in jail now. Three garbage cans. This is what you have for breakfast. One garbage can was full of coffee. Another garbage can was full of bread. And another garbage can was full of, like, we call it molasses, but it's syrup now, you know, mm -hmm. you put on your food. Mm -hmm. So, and then you had your own little tin cup that you drank out of. So, you reach in one garbage can, and you would get you a piece of bread, and you put that on your little plate. Then you take your little coffee cup, and you would go down and get you some syrup. <laughs> and then you would take that syrup, and then you would pour that on your bread. Mm -hmm. But you leave a little bit of the syrup in your, uh, in your cup because that's what you were going to use to sweeten your coffee with. <laughs> and then you put your, get you a cup of coffee, and that's what you have for breakfast every morning. Oh, my you God. Know? But still, man, these were like inconveniences like nowadays, you know, say your electricity goes out for, you know, and they haven't fixed it up. So mm -hmm. I looked at it from that point of view. Okay, you know, you know. And then, you know, it was just one of those hardships in life that I knew that I wasn't going to endure again. So I'm glad I, I'm glad I marched with the civil rights marchers and stuff like that. I'm glad I did that. I'm proud of it. But then I'm still like, hey, it's a good life out there, you know. Because there was a, never a time when I was a little kid that I didn't know, and people might say, hey, man, he's braggadocious. No, this is not braggadocious. This is like just being a normal human being. There was never a time that I didn't think I was going to graduate from high school, mm -hmm. that I was going to go on to college, you know what I'm saying, that I was going to graduate from college and that I was going to have a job somewhere. And, you know, and sure, I had pitfalls and stuff like that. And one other story and, like, you are the moderator, so, man, tell me, like, no, 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 man, people don't want to hear this. But I want to tell <laughs> We're the story just rapping, about, man. I want to tell the story about going in the Army. Yeah. Because I was in college. Well, let me ask real quick. Yeah. What year did you graduate high school? 1964, yeah. And then you go to college where? I went to college, a little small junior college in my hometown called Cahoma Junior College. Okay. And I was in college then. Okay. And that was at the time... The Vietnam War was going on, mm -hmm. and uh, they were saying that if you're in school, you won't, you can't get drafted to go to college, right? Mm -hmm. But I got my draft letter anyway, you know, and I was still in school. But I always think about how Muhammad Ali had the nerve to stand up to say that he wasn't going to go fight. You know, he wasn't going in the Army. Mm -hmm. And then I think about me. I said, whatever the government want me to do, I can't go against it. Muhammad Ali is Muhammad Ali. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and he's got lawyers and he's got judges and he's got popular demand about him. So I took my little letter and I always remember they told me, you're going to Memphis, Tennessee, and you're going to take your physical and everything, just bring uh, – toothpaste and stuff like that, and you're coming back home. After you get your physical and everything, you're coming back home. Well, that was a lie. <laughs> <laughs> 
the guy that I went in, and I'm going to call his name Roger Whitehead, I always remember me and him going in on the buddy plan. You know, if you go in on, if you talk somebody else to go in with you on the buddy plan, mm-hmm. you get a chance to kind of choose what kind of MOS you want and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking, like, at that time, I want to be MP because I know MPs, uh, they were like nice uniforms, you know, and stuff like that. And I was, I want to be an MP. Mm-hmm. So I go in. We're up there in Memphis that day, and we pass. I passed the physical and everything. And I'm thinking I'm going. To, I'm getting ready to get on the bus, and Roger he's failed the physical. So they say everybody, uh, some captain or something came in, and when you when they inducting you in the army, they got a little speech you got to repeat and stuff like that, and everything. And so I was thinking I'll get a chance to go back home and see my mother and my girlfriend and stuff like that, and then I go wherever they want to send me. The guy said no. We got a bus right out there now. All you guys that pass the physical, you go into the train station, and you're headed for Fort Campbell. I think it's Fort Campbell up in uh, Hopkinsville, Kentucky, mm-hmm. up in Hoptown. So, yeah, I say I am 18 or 19 years old. I'm hollering like, I want to see my mama. Can I go home and see my mama, please? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I think about that when uh, – what was the guy that they stood on his neck and they killed him? George Floyd. George Floyd. And mm-hmm. they said the last words he was, I think if you remember, if you followed, they say the last words he was saying was, I want to see my mother. I want to see my mother. Mm-hmm. And I said, that is a true statement because when something drastic is happening to you, the first thing a person says, I want to see my mother because, you know, your mother loves you and everything. Yeah. But anyway, like I say, I was 19 years old, so. I just shook it off. <laughs> Did you have any of your stuff? No. Because <laughs> you didn't know you were going to be called into a training camp. I didn't know that. I, I, they told us we was getting ready. They was going to send us back home. After you get your physical, you're going back home, <laughs> and then you know we'll let you know when it's time for you to enroll in the Army. But, you know, that's the way law is and stuff like that. And so you had only your toothbrush at that point? Only my toothbrush. But when you're going in the army, you don't need. They got everything you need. Sure. Yeah. So you know, it was cool. So then you go there, and then you serve tours over in Vietnam. No, I was never. I was never. I was. Uh, I was lucky. I didn't have a ch- chance to go to Vietnam, nice. and I was happy about that. Yeah. Not. Well, yeah, I was happy about it, but I was also like, if they send me, I'm in the army. I knew I didn't want to make a career out of it. So whatever the army tells me to do. I'm going to do it, do it to the best of my ability, mm-hmm. and, you know, and then get out and go back to college. And I got out of the Army. Hey, best thing ever happened to me because I go back to college. Now I'm going to college on the GI Bill, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm down at Alcorn State University. What year? This was I got out I when I got out of the Army in 68. Okay. 68, 69. Okay. And, uh. So I'm ready to go back to college now. Right. Yeah. And then when you're a veteran in college, they have what they call veteran dormitories in college then. Hmm. So I didn't have to stay in the dormitory with the regular kids. <laughs> I have my own little apartment. I said, the army is okay. <laughs> you know, but anyway, man, like, uh, I'm one of those guys that you can take, what, uh, 
lemons turned it into lemonade. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm noticing that because in every single one of these stories, it's something that would probably cause somebody to be like, "Man, fuck my life." But, yeah, yeah. But but you're on the other end of it where you're just like, "Man, it's cool, man. You know, it's cool." <laughs> but so where do you think that comes from? Is that ability to just have that perspective and positivity in any situation? My father and my grandfather, the way they dealt with maybe white men who uh, would subject them to stuff that they didn't have to do. And I always, this is the story I always remember. And this is the one I want people to remember. Mississippi gets a bad rap for being the most prejudiced state in the world. No, no, I mean, uh, my father worked for the Pelicans, and uh, he was there. My father was kind of like a, what was the guy? Jack Benny. What's the guy, the black guy that plays? It's a black guy that plays Jack Benny's valet. And he goes everywhere Jack Benny goes. He goes with Jack Benny, and he takes his shines, his shoes. He makes sure his clothes together and everything. And he called him boss and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But Jack Benny loved him, and he took care of Jack Benny. Well, my father... He worked for the Pelican family, and they owned a lot of plantation land. They owned the country club and all that kind of stuff. So he worked for them, and he had a kind of like a high standard with other black people in the community because he worked for the Pelicans. Mm -hmm. And if he went back, and he always remember he had taken his car somewhere, it needed uh, it needed fixing. So this guy, he's a mechanic, you know, and he's telling my father, you know, it needs this and it needs that. And my father knew what it needed because Mr. Pelican, he had taken his car to get the same thing done. Mm -hmm. So my father didn't want to confront this white man in like showing, you know, like he was talking back to him. He said, well, Mr. Pelican told me to bring the car down here. <laughs> 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 and my car was had the same problem his car had and stuff like that, and you would fix it up with me. And the guy say, okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> because he used his name as like somebody to let him know that that's who I work for. Sure. And back in those days, if you were a black person and you worked for a real rich white person, they had your back, you know. Because mm -hmm. when I was in jail, I always remember Miss Martha Pelican, them, her son was, was an auxiliary policeman. And he would come by my jail cell every night. And he'd say, James, you doing okay? You know, and he'd sneak me a couple of candy bars and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> I used those candy bars to keep the bad guys off me, too. Like, hey, man, I got some candy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but anyway, life is too good for people. If you got your health, man. And you got your mind to do stuff, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And then you do not have to be a rocket scientist. Hey, man, I don't know calculus. I don't know trigonometry. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't know physics. I know how to add, subtract, multiply, divide. Mm -hmm. I know fractions. I know decimal, And I know percent. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like. You know, and I know in schools now they want everybody to be a rocket scientist. And I was a school teacher, and those are the things I imparted 
among some of my school kids is like, hey, learn the basic skills, you know, and then go out and apply that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What you doing right now with the podcast? Do you need any trigonometry to Hell no. Okay. <laughs> do you know Actually, it? I chose this so I would never have to do trigonometry. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> I want to bring it back um, and come full circle with this, though, because we got off on that story, which was yeah. a great story, but yeah. we were bringing it back to where you get this this positivity and this, this positive mindset no matter what the situation is, and you were talking about your grandpa and your dad. Yeah, because I, I model myself how they carried themselves with people, and they never was submissive. They was just like, you know, they didn't, they never lost a cool. They didn't go off on the fight and, you know, scream and do stuff like that. And everywhere my grand, my father went and my grandfather went, they wore their shirt and they tie when they went to the grocery <laughs> store and they looked presentable. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't go, you know, and, that, and that, that's just the way they carried themselves. Now, and then I got other members in my family. I got uncles, man, that stayed drunk 24 hours a day. Back then, it wasn't drugs. Everybody was, you know. And then I looked at them as a kid saying, like, there's no way I'm going to be like them when I grow up. Mm-hmm. But I love my Uncle Henry. Me and my aunt, we talk about him all the time. We talk about, man, that man could drink some whiskey. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. But, and, hey, he taught me how to drink. <laughs> I hung with him as a kid, 16 years old, you know. We got a you know, bottle of whiskey walking down the street sharing it with each other. But I'm 16, but I'm also knowing that this is not nothing that I'm going to do on a regular basis. Sure. Because everybody have that look. You know, when you're a teenager, everybody, you're going to the prom, you're going to sneak a little, or if you can. You know of course. What I'm saying? Everybody of course. done that. Yeah. Uh, after the football game on a Friday night, you you know, so, yeah. But never to the extreme, you know. And I'm, I thank God for giving me the fortitude of not becoming, because that, that was one thing I always said. I will never become an alcoholic and a drug addict. No matter how good it is. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm like everybody. I just smoked a little weed when, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, hey. <laughs> okay, so then you graduated from Alcorn State in what year? 1971. Okay, yeah. so Vietnam War still going at that point? I'm, yeah, it's still going, but I, I've served my time. Right. I, yeah. You got lucky in a sense because 68, it's just starting to yeah, get going. You know, so, right? you know, hey, you know, so, you know, I've served my time and I'm back in school. And uh, I got to Louisville, Kentucky, and I wish Coach Whitney was still alive. And I wish Mr. Buford was still alive. But back in that time, the, the Jefferson County came to Alcorn State, all the black colleges, and they were recruiting black teachers. And most people got recruited to go to uh, somewhere here in Jefferson County. Mm-hmm. And I think Coach Whitney knew him and Mr. Buford, who was, uh, I was an industrial arts major. They knew people, Coach Whitney was from Georgetown, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And uh I remember him and Mr. Buford say, James, you want to go to Kentucky and teach school? Say, I, you know, I know a place, you know, where you can go get a job and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, like I say, back in those times, out at Oldham County, I think they were looking for the first black teacher. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're in our community, if you're going to be the first black, then you want that person to be somebody that you know is not going to blow it. You know, going sure. you know, going to make a success and stuff like that. So I think that's why they sent me here because they said every the, a lot of guys are going to Jefferson County, but you gave me the principal and he gave me everything. You go out to Oldham County and get your interview and see if you could get hired out there. But back in retrospect, I think everything was already taken care of by them. Mm-hmm. But they had sent me. And uh, because I had been in the Army, and they think that I would might be a better candidate for the first black teacher at Oldham County, you know, stuff like that. And I would might be the kind of a person that, like, could go up and could stand the pressure of, like, being in an all-white society because I had been in the Army. And I want to thank the guys that I was in the Army with because we were at Fort Benning, Georgia, I think that's just Fort Bend in Georgia is the school of the uh, military policemen. Mm-hmm. So we had went to town one night, me and five other white guys. We had went to town one night, and Sergeant told us, you guys didn't get in town. Four of them got their tattoo that night. <laughs> you know, Now, don't you guys try to come back to the base and y'all go get your hotel room and spend the night in the hotel. Don't try to come back, drive back, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. and your stuff like that. So we get in the hotel room, and they give us a room, you know, back then, so all five of us. But I was the one black guy, and the manager of the hotel said, he can't stay here. And those guys, man, they stood up for me. They say, he's staying. <laughs> <laughs> We're army guys, and James is staying, for, staying with us. So I wish I would know one of those guys now and one of those guys would see that and say yeah i remember that incident mm-hmm. and stuff like that and hey we all end up sleeping in the room and got up the next morning and went back to the base you know and i you know i always thought about that so i say those guys stood up for me mm-hmm. yeah did you ever feel pressure as the first black teacher in oldham county where people would look at you and put maybe unfair expectations on you no and you know why? Because in teaching, if you're a special ed teacher, you're a physical ed teacher, you know, I was an industrial art teacher. You know, we making bookcases, rifle racks, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Sure. So, so those are not things like, those are jobs that, you know, most anybody can do. You really don't need a college degree to do that. Sure. You know what I'm saying? So I was never under any pressure, you know, like I'm not teaching these kids that in math or something like that, mathematical equations and stuff like that. Sure. So all the jobs I've ever had in life were like jobs anybody could do, just apply yourself to it. So I never was in like – the space program, or, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm not qualified for those jobs. Mm-hmm. So I always like, but I feel good about myself because I want to be the kind of a person that let people that can do that kind of stuff. Hey, you can do it if you if you just get out there and try, mm-hmm. and you're gonna mess up. Yeah, I messed up so many times it ain't even funny. <laughs> 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 but hey, yeah, 
But you know, like what I'm saying is, you like uh, back in the day, you might have an athlete, yeah, right. That's like seen as a trailblazer. And for yeah. you coming into Oldham County, like more of a rural part of Louisville, yeah, yeah. right. So people are looking at you um, maybe the same way that they looked at uh, like black athletes when they would break in, right? Mm-hmm. Or and you would see these people, and some of them were like, "Yeah, man, I'm with it. I want to advance the causes that we're about." Yeah. Then you have other people that are like, "Man, I just want to play ball. Like, I don't, I don't care about any of this other stuff, right?" Yeah. Um, who was it that, uh, OJ, Yeah. OJ had many different chances to help out the people in his community yeah, and, I know. but OJ always was like, man, I, I'm not, I'm not black, man. I'm OJ. You know, okay. I don't want to deal with all this other stuff. But I, so that's why I'm asking as, as somebody that moved into Oldham County as a teacher, did, did you ever have people looking at you like, Hey James, man, come on, like help us out, you know? And you're just like, Hey man, I just want to teach. No, I, I'll, Every one of the black kids, I was with one, one of the black kids, uh, and he said, uh, "James, we looked after you, and we wanted to model ourselves after you." And and he's like one of the top real estate men in Louisville now. <laughs> and we was at uh, the what's the the uh, black holiday we just got to celebrate Juneteenth. Juneteenth, yeah. Juneteenth. They had something at Millionaire's Row, and we he was talking about how. They wanted to, yeah, they thought I was cool. Like, James is cool. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they wanted to, because like I say, and I and I presented myself like that because I said, I always want to be a good role model mm-hmm. for people. Mm-hmm. So, no, and but that was never, the only thing that I ever worked, like I said, I knew that I wasn't going to ever do anything like, Rob, you know, do anything to bring, you know, stuff like that. Sure. Now, you know, like I, I just, it's hard for me to explain, man, but like I try to tell everybody, man, life is too easy. Just get up in the morning and put your clothes on, man, <laughs> and go do what they tell you, and, you know, and that's it. That's it. <laughs> hey, and save you some money. Hey guys, we'll get back to James in just a second here, but I just wanted to remind you to please subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast on Apple Podcasts. And if you're a Spotify listener or you listen to podcasts anywhere other than Apple Podcasts, for all my non-iPhone users out there, shame on you, okay? But you can leave a rating and a review on the Facebook page for the show at Real Talk W Benny T, and that would really help me out as well. Make sure you follow along on all social media channels at BennyTomp18. That's Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram, and then Facebook. And I actually have a show page uh, on Instagram as well, and that is at Real Talk W Benny T. If James had any social media channels, this is where I would plug those, but he doesn't. And so now. Back to the interview. We were... Yeah, out at Oldham County. Yeah, you are about so, to go so, to Oldham County. So, so uh, my aunt and uncle, who I, my aunt now who I take care of, they were, my uncle was uh, an army man. Now, he fought in World War II, so he's my hero. He's fought in World War II, mm-hmm. and... Uh, that was a real war, and uh, I think about, I came up, and I was staying with them, and he said, James, you know, they knew ways, they knew that the way you had to present yourself, so 
he's going to take me out to Ballastville to get the job. Mm -hmm. So he gets up that morning, puts his Army uniform on, all his medals and stuff like that, made me put my little suit on. (laughs) (laughs) And at the time, he had bought him a brand-new Cadillac. So, you know, we drive out to Ballastville, stuff like that. You know, we get out the car and like, hey, man, those are some influential black people, you know. Because <laughs> he knows this is the way to, to, to get a, a better, you know, good job, just to help you get hired and yeah. stuff like that. But in retrospect, I was already hired. Mm. They just wanted to meet me and, uh, you know, have people fill you out because I do that now. When I first met you, I say, let me ask this little kid some questions, fill him out. And if kind of response I get from him, I know he is somebody. Because, you know, a lot of guys at the gym, you ask them a question, they got that headphone on. <laughs> they ain't got enough sense to say, how you doing? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Because they're in little world. Yeah. That's why they still at home with their mom and dad. <laughs> 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 calling you for a ride. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, they call the Ubers. Yeah, yeah. calling you, say, man, can you come pick me up? My cotton broke down. Down, you know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> they don't know how to interact with people. Yeah. You know, but anyway. Yeah. 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 So and and like I say, I got hired and I was uh what they call an industrial arts teacher. And those were like I said, I always like to say and I was out at Oldham County uh this past Saturday with my daughter at the horse farm. Mm-hmm. And I was amazed how the city of LaGrange has uh evolved from what it was when I went there. Sure. It was like had one store and it closed at six o'clock in the evening. <laughs> so I was coaching football and you know, after football practice is over, I always wanna I wanna give some kudos to the ladies in the cafeteria. Because at the time I was married, but my wife was still in college in Mississippi. So I came up here by myself. So uh Every day, I would have lunch. They'd feed me in the cafeteria, mm-hmm. and then they knew I. They knew that I was living by myself. And then they would whatever they had food left over in the cafeteria. They would wrap it up real nice for me. <laughs> so when I went <laughs> home that night, I had something to eat. Nice, you know. And I so I enjoyed. The only reason that I left Oldham County was monetary, because I was working. I had been out there like about three and a half years. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I coach football and baseball. I wish I could run up on Coach McMillan again because I love, I, you know, back now everybody knows so much about sports and ain't even funny, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They know all the only thing we knew. Bobby, keep it low, man. Keep it low. <laughs> 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 and then the other thing we would tell, all right, everybody – if the ball already have in your mind what you're going to do with the ball when it's hit to you. You know, if you got to run on first mm-hmm. and the ball is hit to you on second, you know, you know you're going to step on second. You know, But you already thought that process. Everybody that we taught them have the process thought about if the ball is hit to you, what mm-hmm. you're going to do. So you won't have to <laughs> think about it when it's coming to you. Sure. But like I say, nowadays everything in sports is, I think it's over emphasize that's why a lot of guys you know sports is mostly 90 percent uh human ability mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying that's mm-hmm. not very much you can teach lebron james you know right because <laughs> god has already given it to him <laughs> right you know? yeah. right but anyway and then so i enjoyed and then uh 
What have, y- what year did you start teaching at Oldham County? 1971 and 72. Okay. Yeah. And, and- and did, was, you, did you start coaching as soon as you started yes, teaching? Yeah, back then, if you were a teacher, you had to coach. You had to coach. Get some extra money, right? <laughs> well, yeah, well, we thought it was extra money. <laughs> and I don't want to give Oldham County a bad name, but as an assistant coach, you made $300 for football and you made $200 for baseball because <laughs> football, baseball wasn't important as football, you know. Oh, yeah, of course. So, so you got an extra $500 a year. I probably now that would probably be what ten grand maybe yeah it would, you know yeah. you, so you, so you did that yeah and I the thing that I kind of wish is I would have now I don't know and you know because like back then coaches wasn't paid you know the millions and millions of dollars like mm-hmm. they make it now you mm-hmm. know and stuff like that and uh, but I I tell a lot of guys at the gym and I try to impress them I'm like hey man. Coaching baseball, football, basketball is not rocket scientists, man. It's everybody use the same place. <laughs> you know <what> I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they just tweak it over here a little bit, tweak it over there a little bit. But everybody do the same thing. Hey, it's easier to it's easier to coach football, basketball, and baseball than it is to work a math problem. You know? <laughs> sure. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you know. But anyway, man. How long did you coach at Oldham County? Until I until I left to go to work on the railroad, you know, and that me and Coach McMillan, oh, this is the one I remember. We are, uh, and if some of the guys that was uh, hear this from out there, some of the guys, one year we went to, uh, I think it was Somerset, Kentucky. But anyway, we was in like the regionals in baseball, and Coach McMillan father passed away so I was the assistant coach it wasn't no 10 coaches then just two coaches Mm -hmm. me and him Mm -hmm. okay so he said James you got charge of the team you guys going up to Somerset Kentucky and I always this is the one I always remember (laughs) and we were one game away from going to the state up in Lexington so uh you know I'm the third base coach you know, you got down on third base. You giving the signals and stuff, and I got, I got to, I got this guy, man. You know, you know, come up to the plate. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm giving him the take signals. You know, all kind of stuff like that. But so here we are. I think of seven inning games, and uh, you know why you've seen that little thing on TV? Why you go from jubilation to defeat in yeah. a split second? Yeah. <laughs> well, Oh God! Well, well, we were like the home. We were the home team. The guy hits the ball, and I'm that third base, and I got runners on second and third, and he hits it, and I know it's out of the park. And I'm uh, hey, oh, the guy come by third. Uh, the guy on third, I gives him a high five. He's going in. The guy from second, he's coming around third. He's gonna score. We're gonna win the game. This guy goes back some kind of way. <laughs> Over the fence <laughs> and catches the ball, and we all just fell to our knees like, "No, this didn't just happen." <laughs> so I know that one. Why you go from jubilation to defeat in a split second? Wow. You know. So, but anyway, as the years go by, you don't, you don't, you know, stuff like that. You know, that's cool. Hey. So you didn't end up making it to state that didn't year. Didn't make it to the state. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
because that was going to be my claim to fame, you know. Yeah. I took Oldham County, the, high, the baseball team, to the state tournament. Yeah. You know? But anyway, whatever. So what year did you go to work on the railroads? All right. I'm, I'm working on the railroad. I'm teaching school at Oldham County. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I had moved from Oldham County, and I moved up where we, the gym is, uh, it's a plantation. You've been to my house since sub, plantation mm-hmm. subdivision mm-hmm. right there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, no, I wasn't living there then. I was living in those apartments. There's some apartments right there on Westport Road, uh, right where the gym is, those apartments okay. right there. I used to call them Rolling Hills, mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. there off of Goose Creek Road, those apartments. Mm-hmm. So I meet my best buddy, Gus. He's dead now, but Gus was a heck of a basketball player, so I got to put that plug in for him. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to Gus. <laughs> I got to shout out to Gus. Hey, but, uh, but anyway, he's working on the railroad. So back then when you are a young person and you're making good money, you want the other young guys to know it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Let me know if I'm doing something different. No, no, no. Okay, so uh, so I say, Gus, what kind of work you do? He say, I work on the railroad, you know. And I, I say, and then he had his paycheck. He said, we was playing tennis. We used to play tennis together all the time. And uh, he said, take me to the bank. I want to cash my check. And you know, he wanted me to see how much money he's making and stuff <laughs> like that. So I'm always like a networker, right? You know, so uh, so – I mean, Gus making good money working. He's making more in a in a week than I'm making at a because two teachers got paid once a month. Mm-hmm. And I want to tell this story. The first contract I signed was for four thousand eight hundred dollars a year as a teacher. As a teacher, four thousand eight hundred dollars a year. Now these guys, Gus was an engineer on the railroad. He drove trains. He's making like. 25 grand a year. Damn. So what I do, I'm butting up to Gus. Hey, Gus, can we be friends? <laughs> can you help me get a job? You know what I'm saying. I'm not, you know, yeah. and I say like, hey, man, you help me get a job on the railroad. I promise you I'll never do anything to make you look bad. I'm going to work every day, you know, and, and I was I was telling him the truth because like if you if you help me get a job. I want to make you look good. Sure. But anyway, so he said, you know, I know some guys. I'm going to a party tonight. And so you, these guys are in the upper echelons of the railroad. Bob Cotton, Eugene Carruthers, these guys were like, you know, they had worked their way from up being a guy that just worked on the tracks and the engineers. And then the other guy was like a train uh, dispatcher. Mm-hmm. He's saying, now, when you go there tonight, you butter these guys up like you t- talk to them and stuff like that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, you know, we over there. I say, hey, Bob, man, y'all guys help me get a job on the railroad. Hey, man, I promise you I'll never do anything. You know, and they went out and they say, well, they got a, a class starting. Back then, on 9th and Broadway was a railroad building. Now it's closed and everything. And I can, you know, go down. And I took my test. The only thing I was mad about was I hired in on the railroad in January, mm-hmm. the coldest time of the. So the first, although you are going to work in the engineers program, back then, when you got hired on the railroad, you worked out with the, you know, you seen the guys with the picks and the shovels and singing and doing stuff like yeah. that. Well, for the first six months. 
you work with those guys learning the the ropes down there while they were mm-hmm. and everything. But anyway, you know, and then when time for to get in the engineers program, and I'll tell everybody, driving a train is easier than driving a car. And the reason why is, first of all, the train is going to go where the track goes. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, you know, it's going to go where the track is, so sure. you don't have to worry about keeping your mind on it at 24 hours. The hardest part, not hard part, but the most uh, intriguing part, the part you really got to pay attention to is starting and stopping. Hmm. You know, you just can't step on the clutch of a train and start off at 30 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. No, you got to go one mile an hour, two miles an hour, you know, you got to increase your speed very, very slowly, you know. So, but anyway, as I worked on the railroad, the railroad, that's why I hate telephones. <laughs> and I'm going to blame that on the railroad. And if the railroad people hear it, because you work by the telephone. You didn't know when you were going to work. Mm. You just be at home and they would call you and you would have an hour and a half to get dressed and be where they told you to go. Wow. That's so, like parole almost. Yeah. But, right? But, but you did it for the money. Sure. You know, you did it for the money. So that's why, man, when I left the railroad, I did not answer my phone for six months. I did not even look at people. Were, people were mad with me, man. We've been trying to call you. I said, man, I'm not thinking about that. And anybody that worked on the railroad back then, because there was no cell phones. Mm-hmm. So you had to be at home. Right, And right. the railroad didn't play. If they call you to come to work, because the train needs to leave out, and it has to be in Cincinnati on a certain time, mm-hmm. and they don't have time to be waiting on you. And you calling in saying you sick. <laughs> and the rail, that's what I loved about the railroad. If you call in sick, hey, because I've seen guys get fired for telling a lie that they had to go to a funeral. Or you, you had to have a doctor's appointment, a note mm-hmm. from your doctor, mm-hmm. you know, saying that you were really sick. So, but anyway, man, so I, the good blessing is me is I got a chance to work on the railroad. And I was on the railroad for like about 14 years. Driving the trains. Driving the trains. So you're the conductor. Well, the, tr- the conductor is on the rear of the train. And the engineer is on the front of the train. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I used to love driving train, man. Because, Did you get the hat, though? Oh, I had the hat, the bandana, and everything, man. <laughs> <laughs> you love the uniforms, man. You love looking fly. <laughs> i tell you why I love going on the railroad was... Uh, have you ever heard of Ravenna, Kentucky? Mm-mm. Oh, man, that is, that is coal mine country. <laughs> go up to Ravenna, Kentucky. And what I liked about it was like I, a lot of times we go to Ravenna, a lot of the black guys didn't like going to Ravenna, you know. But I like going to those little all towns like that, you know, that I had read about in Kentucky when I was a kid and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And so, you know, I, I have never – I always look at people as people. I don't never look at a race. And a lot of people, black people in my family, say, you know, James Ed called me Uncle Tom and, you know, whatever, stuff like that. But, you know, like, words don't mean nothing, man. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. the same people, like I say, 
called me Uncle Tom. Hey, James, can I catch a ride with you here? You know, and then when you get in the car, I'll be saying, you mean you want to ride with Uncle Tom? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but anyway, you know, you, have to, you got to get a dig in on that. What years did you work on the railroad? From 1976, 75, 76, until like about 1987. Okay. Uh, yeah. You know. So a little over 10 years. Yeah, yeah. And 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 the reason that I left the railroad was L&N at the time merged with CSX, mm-hmm. which was a, a larger railroad. So anybody that had over 10 years in, they would buy your job. And they was paying 50 grand, 75 grand, and 100 grand. Mm. You know, you would give up your job, and that's what they would give you as severance pay. Mm-hmm. So I had a college degree, right? So I say, man, I qualify for seventy-five grand. Which don't think you're going to get the whole seventy-five grand. <laughs> you know, when you hear these people talk about uh, class action suits, mm-hmm. and you know they tell you you're going to get ten million dollars. Well, the guys that put it in, we might get anyway. I think out of the seventy-five grand, I ended up. With maybe fifty-seven thousand, because the government, whatever, whenever you get money, <laughs> they're taking their cut. <laughs> they're taking their cut. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And uh, but anyway, but anyway, I had thought it through. I said, well, you know what? I got this house what I'm living in now in Plantation. Mm-hmm. I think at that time I had paid like maybe forty grand for it. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I said, shoot, man, I take that, pay my house note off, pay my car note off. Hey. But anyway, at that time, Jefferson County was hiring teachers again, was hiring teachers to work. Mm-hmm. So I just took that, paid off of, uh, that's how I met Diane, you know, the, the lady that was the love of my life. That's how I met her because we were in classes together at Spalding University, mm-hmm. and we were taking, like, Ben, I could, you know, you could get so many hours and then you could become a teacher, and then while you're teaching, you could go back to school every summer until you get your teaching certificate mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So uh, uh, I like to tell this one because Diane was in class with me. She's from Chicago, you know. She, you know, she's smart and everything. So we set up this professor. We're sitting in the classroom that day, and he said, "All right." The first assignment is I want everybody to write a 1,000-word essay on the three ways to teach. I want you to know the individual approach. I want you to write another $1,000 essay on the libertarian approach and another approach he came up with. And I'm like, what in the world is he talking about? <laughs> and Diane looked at me like, I got this, James. Don't worry. I say, I'm going to start hanging with this girl, man. <laughs> 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 you know? But then that's another fallacy that I want people to know. Teaching school is like coaching, connecting with kids. Mm-hmm. And the way that I did with kids was like I was a special education teacher. And I love my BD boys, man. I love them to death, man. Every Friday, Tom Gabler was my principal, and I love him, man. He said, because I kept the, the BD boys were the worst kids in the school. What does BD stand for? A behavioral disorder. 
Okay. They got a behavioral disorder. Mm-hmm. No, they just need to be straightened up. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, you know, they couldn't be in a regular classroom. Sure. But anyway, hey, you know, so I loved it. So and I, my job, when I was teaching with Tom, my job was like, if I go to a classroom, you know, and the reason that there's a lot of discipline in, disciplinary things in school is like there's always, if you got 25 kids in a class, there's always about two kids in there that's making it bad for everybody else. <laughs> yeah. You hear me? Yeah. So I walk from room to room. So Come on, boy. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't stopping these kids from learning. I'm telling you right now. You're not stopping them from learning. You're going down with me because I know he's going to learn something. Yeah. Because I already know, like, with the BD boys, what is the approach you got to use? You got to give them more than they, you know they can do, and then you let you got to let them negotiate you down. Kind of like when you go buy a car. I used to tell everybody, as soon as you go buy a car, guy come in, if he want 5000 you know, he's going to put up there 8000 10000 mm-hmm. If he want five, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. he's going to put ten up there. And then, then he's going to let you – Barking him down to seven thousand, and you gonna walk out there with your chest, man. I hey, he wanted ten grand for that car. I only paid him seven, man. <laughs> you know? And when the guy leave, you say, man, that's the easiest two thousand dollars I ever made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's why I talk to BD boys. I say, I always remember. Yeah, you know, I told little Johnny to do something. He cussed me out in front of the children. You know, all the kids. He walk around. So hey. Come around the end of the school, yeah, we getting ready to go to King's Island. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to have a fun day. Yeah. No, you ain't going, son. You know what You remember? <laughs> you ain't going, you know, son. Yeah, no, no. Uh, you know, you don't know how to control yourself. I can't take you nowhere with me. Yeah. See how you talk to me like I was a dog? I can't, I can't you know what I'm Call his mom, no, you know. And then he, he, he I'll never forget that kid. And from then on out. He got the message. <laughs> you know, you know. So just use those kind of techniques on stuff, on kids, you know. Yeah. But anyway, so I love those boys, man. I, I see them now and, every now and then. <laughs> they stop me from getting robbed down in the West End. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the BD boys say, no, nah, no, nah, that's Mr. Sims, man. He's cool. Leave him alone. <laughs> yeah. So then that was your second stint teaching. And that then- was my second stint, and that's what I did. You know, up until I retired in 2005. Do you think they looked at you and they were like, you know what, this guy was in the Army, he could probably straighten out a knucklehead if somebody stepped out of line? Yeah, yeah, but not not in a... Physical no, I, way, I, right? I, I, but but like, I have, hey, I, I grab little dudes up. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I grab little dudes up, and, but I never, like, lost my cool. You know, right, grab right. him, you know. I Especially, you know, you put your hand on him and hold him like that, and he know, you know, that you mean business and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that. But every kid... The first day of school, I would call their parents that night because, you know, like, you know, you can't touch somebody. And all the parents, hey, they support it. They say, hey, no, no, Mr. Sims didn't do that. I say, listen, this is my philosophy. You can come in my classroom any time of the day. Hey, don't let me know you're coming because, you know, back in the old days, if somebody's coming to visit you, you clean the house up real good. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you don't have it clean like that all the time. I say, every parent of my kids, you can come in my room any time of the day, sit 
watch me teach, you know what I'm saying? Do whatever you want to do. I have no problem with it and stuff like that. And I say, if little Johnny comes home and says, Mr. Sims did this to him, I say, just give me the courtesy of calling me before you go to the authorities and say you abused him. Mm-hmm. Give me the courtesy of calling me and let me give my side of it mm-hmm. and stuff. You know, and I, I say, never had no, all the man. No, no, you sins didn't do that. No, I can tell you right now, he didn't do that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, yeah. Because one time they had enticed a girl to say Mr. Sims that said something because the principal of this school wanted me out of that school so he could give the job to somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And then when they called out to the Board of Education and the lady that knew me out there said, no. He didn't do that. I know he didn't do it. I know he didn't do it. You hear me? Mm-hmm. And stuff like that. So she said, James, I tell you what, I was subbing then. He, she said, just leave that school. Leave it. Let it be. You know, don't worry. Nothing is going to happen to you. I got to. Hey, how do. Because the, then I'm teaching way downtown. She put me right out there at Cameron Middle School. You know, <laughs> you know so, he, so with him making me lose that job, and you know what happened to him? And I'm, and I'm so sad that it happened. His wife killed him. Wow. You know. Why? Well, maybe they had a bad relationship. But I just read about that in the news about two or three years later. And I remember him trying to get me fired for no reason. You know. And, but, he, and he did get you fired. No, he just he just got me transferred from that school to another school. Gotcha. Okay. No, he didn't, nothing was ever never brought of it because he just wanted me out of that school, you know. But he got you out. Yeah. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. But and 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 hey, I can live with that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That's why I tell people, man, you got to let it go. You hear me? <laughs> <laughs> Easier said than done, James. I know that too. Certainly, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... You got to let it go. <laughs> yeah. Now, and if somebody beats you out of ten or $12,000, now you don't understand, you know. Mm-hmm. But if, if somebody just do something, like, insignificant, yeah. But that's just, that's just the way people live. And I tell everybody, I live by my own set of rules, you know. <laughs> 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 So then you were uh, a substitute teacher for then how many years? Oh, for just just the remainder of that school year. And then when school started the next year, I got a regular job. And I was supposed to have went out to, I had a job out at Shelby County. I could have went out there and worked mm-hmm. at Shelby County Middle School. And I was going to go out there because uh, I had liked being out in the rural setting. I had already worked at Oldham County. So I said, I can go up to Shelby County, you know. Mm-hmm. But then no middle school, Jefferson County offered me a job at no middle school. Mm-hmm. Now, no middle school is right within walking distance of the University of Louisville. Mm-hmm. So now I'm still taking classes to get my master's degree, you know what I'm saying? So I said, you know, hey, I'll go take the job at no middle school. And then when school is out, instead of me having to drive away from Shelbyville back to L to take classes, all I got to do is walk. So it was like right. sometimes things just fall into your lap 
that you don't plan for, but it just happens. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, you know, hey, that's that's the way I live. And I tell everybody, like, some the doctor called me in and say, James, you got six months to go. Hey, I'm going to do like you. I'm going to go to Vegas and stay a month. <laughs> 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 now, that's the way to do it right yeah, there. Right there you go out with a bang, baby. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy life, man. I get a chance to go. I get a chance to go. There's not many places in the world that I would want to go, you know, because I've been, you know, you know, like Vegas. You know, I know that out of California. I know that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Chicago, New York. You know, I've been in, I've been in Times Square. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> All those places, yeah, and enjoy it. But Kentucky, man, is like it's heaven. I hope people that hear this can say Kentucky, man, is heaven. And I'm gonna say it one more time. It's there, man. You gotta want it though. And li- I have a lot of my a lot of my relatives. You know, I'm that person that they kind of look up to in the family, and they want to be like me. And I was like, no, man. You gotta want it for yourself. I can't. I can't make it happen for you. Mm-hmm. And if you can get up every morning and put your clothes on, I just wish young people knew, man, how easy it is to make it in the world, man. <laughs> Show up for work. That's all you. It used to be an old saying. My grandfather's, hey, man, showing up is fifty percent of it. And I love going to the gym because I think, man. Uh, if you keep yourself in halfway decent shape, because I hate the man. Have you noticed the number of people are walking around now overweight mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and don't have no uh, self, you know, don't, don't care, you know, and stuff like that? That's the thing that I hate is, like, little kids, man. Every time I go McDonald's and Burger King, the the – you know, the line is backed all the way out on Westfold Road yeah. and stuff like that. Man, you got to have pinto beans, ton up greens, <laughs> macaroni and cheese, <laughs> fried chicken. <laughs> That's what you got to have, man, to survive on, man. Yeah. You can't survive on hamburgers and French fries. And I just said my little grandkids on time, I say, what y'all have for breakfast? Waffles. Say, man, come on, man. <laughs> Let me get y'all some real food. You know? But anyway, that's the way it is, man. So uh, I want to also ask you, um, when I came over to your house, you showed me some pictures of you and very young Ramsey. And yeah. there's some connections there with uh, Muhammad Ali, too, right? Yeah, but I'm the kind of a guy, like, you're young, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh and I, I credit all this to a guy named Vic Bender. And uh, he was a famous basketball player at Central High School back in the 50s, 60s, you know, around there. But anyway, we were working together. And uh, he got a chance to, he said, whenever Muhammad Ali came into Louisville, he would be Muhammad Ali's driver. He would take him. Place, places to go, you know, have, you know, sang with us, say, James, you want to hang out with us? Yeah, Muhammad Ali, you know. So I got to hang out with the champ on numerous occasions. Matter of fact, this is the one I always loved about him. He never knew my name because, you know, in which it was I'm not embarrassed. But whenever he would see me, he would say, that's that old boy over there. Everybody says he looks like me, but I can tell him right now, he ain't as pretty as me, and he never will be as pretty <laughs> as me. <laughs> and 
I used to get such a big kick out of that, man. Because <laughs> he remembered you. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. He said that to me like, uh, I'm not offended. <laughs> he said, he, I can tell him right now, he ain't as pretty as me, and he never will be as pretty as me. <laughs> yeah. So, so like I say, you know, and I got to be, I say Muhammad Ali is probably the only I, I never been. I don't know how LeBron James, uh, Michael Jordan, or those kind of guys are. But Muhammad Ali, hey, he ain't looked down on nobody. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he, he. I, what I liked about him, he loved cracking on people. You know what I'm saying? He loved making fun of. Wise guy. Yeah, why? Yeah, he yeah. loved that man, and I love. You know, because I never would say anything. You know, like that to him. You know. <laughs> Especially when it's a guy that can knock you upside the head. Yeah, you know, so yeah. And, I, and, and like John Ramsey, he was, uh, what was John Ramsey? We was working out at the gym in, uh, over on Westport Road. And John Ramsey, I think he was in high school or getting ready to go to college. He was, I knew then that he wanted to be famous and stuff like that. And I used to tease him all the time, you know. <laughs> And everything, yeah. And I see him now, you know. We give each other a high five and yeah. everything. What I, what I used to say, oh yeah, he he had a lot of people don't know. His whole room in his house was dedicated to Muhammad Ali. Really, nothing but Muhammad Ali memorabilia. And you know, at one time, Muhammad Ali wasn't like as famous in Louisville as he is now. Right. Because when he converted to the Muslim religion. A lot of people, you know, especially the white population of Louisville, uh, didn't agree with that, mm-hmm. you know, and and he, and he lost a lot. But John Ramsey, he stuck right by him, you know. And then as the years went by, people kind of like, because I was, now Muslim religion to me is another religion like Presbyterian, Methodist, you know what I'm saying? It's sure. not anything that you would, you know, but at one time, you know, like, he's Muslim, you know, you know, so, but now that's okay because I'm, I'm all for freedom of religion. In Louisville, the Catholic thing is such a big deal. Yeah. So then you're hearing, okay, well, Cassius Clay is now Muhammad Ali, right? <laughs> yeah. and you're like, what the hell? So yeah, I, I, I definitely could see how he was disowned here. And yeah. I think what he was doing was speaking up against or in a way that was perceived against yeah. a way of life, you know, because like some people, they're like, hey, man, why rock the boat? Like, keep things the way they've always <laughs> been, <me>. right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but like specifically in this in this one, it's like you've got a bunch of white guys that are like, hey, you know, we're, we're Catholic here, we do things a certain way, and then you've got Muhammad Ali, like, hold on, hold on, hold on, like, let's get a fair shake of everything, like, I'm not just going to do this, I'm not going to show up to the army, because I'm told to, why do I want to go die in Vietnam, when these guys don't give a shit about me here in my own country, right? And I agree with him, Yeah. and if I had been in Muhammad Ali's shoes, I would have done the same thing, (laughs) but I'm James Sims, a poor boy from Mississippi, they throwing me over to jail, and nobody's ever going to hear from me again. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Hold it. This is the best one I want to tell because everybody loves this one. You know, when you're a little kid, right? My mother made us go to church every Sunday. We were the boys that had to go to church every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Well, I got our little bow tie on and everything. We got it. So we're on our way to church one Sunday, and uh, the bad boys that parents didn't make them go to church, they standing up on the corner, right? 
First thing, man, y'all ain't nothing but sissies. We going around behind the, the school. We're going to shoot some dice or pitch some pennies. We're going around. Y'all sissies got to go to church every Sunday. <laughs> I look at my brother like, ain't no sissies. We're going back there with y'all. Because, you know, although we were kids that did what our parents told us, we didn't get bullied by the other kids. You know what I'm right. saying? Like kids not get bullied because we, 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 we were cool enough to stand on our own ground, you know, mm-hmm. even the bad kids. You know, unless that, like I say, unless they was the Beasley boys and the Dawson boys, they had my respect. I didn't bother them. <laughs> <laughs> but they just the reg- regular dudes like me and you. You know what I'm saying? I can, I, yeah, you know what I'm yeah. saying? So, <laughs> so anyway, so we get in there and uh, – me and my brother say, you know, we ain't going to Sunday school. We're going back in and shoot dice with the, with the bad boys, you know. Well, you know, my mother, like every parent nowadays, you know, I always remember they had this one guy, we was in his Sunday school class. Well, he couldn't read, you know. So me and my brother could read because Miss Jackson had taught us how to read. So he called on us every Sunday. James, read me Malachi 14 through 33. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I grabbed him, I read it for him. And then he, after I read it for him, then he explained it to the Sunday school. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that Sunday, we weren't at church. So he gets on the phone, called my mother. My mother, he say, Miss Loney, why are the boys at today? She said, they there at church. He said, no, they're not here. You know, so we live in a little small town. So my mom in her rollers, got her rollers because she's coming to church. Uh-oh. But she got her rollers on. She walked down the street. You know, we, she see some more boys. Have you seen, uh, they call me Ponsonny. Have you seen my boys? Yeah, they around behind the school with them old Beasley boys shooting dice. <laughs> 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 you know? Like I would have told on them too, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I'm back there, I'm back there. You know, you know, hey, I don't know, you, you ever shot dice? Seven and elevens. Yeah, you know, yeah, baby needs milk, all kind of <laughs> stuff like that. And, and then I'm using, I'm using a few four-letter words, too. So my brother, my mother's coming up behind me. My brother's right where you are. So he sees my mother coming, but he's shell-shocked. He can't say nothing like, so I'm back there, man, I'm talking all kind of stuff, you know, <laughs> about what I'm going to do, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I used to tease him. I say, no matter, no boy wants to be hear his mother cuss. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You, you know your father. You know your mother. You don't want your mother to hear you using no bad words. Of course not. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, so she, she she got that belt, you know. And uh, and and I'm looking at son and I'm wondering. He's like, you know, because he I'm shooting the dice. He's watching, you know, for cause, you know guys cheat. So he's watching, you know, and stuff like that. But when he saw my mother, he just and then I'm still talking. All of a sudden, even the bad boys back then, if a grown person come around, they didn't use no bad words around there. So all of a sudden, I'm the only somebody talking. <laughs> 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 and she's like about as far as I had you. She started swinging that belt at me. Oh, God. And beat us all the way to Sunday school. <laughs> so, you know, we was the laughing stock of the neighborhood for a couple of weeks, you know. But, you know, but it was just one of those harmless things that happened in life, man, that, you know, it was no big deal, you know. Hey, what made the Beasley boys so bad? Why did people fear them and the Dawson boys? Because they were like, they were, let me see. They were just guys that, man, that didn't take no prisoners. 
saying? In every neighborhood, there's one family that's, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, they rule that neighborhood. But like I say, they never kill anybody. Matter of fact, I think they immigrated to Chicago, and they, somebody was telling me a lot of them are preachers now. Really? You know. It's funny how that works, huh? Yeah, you know, because I don't think there was ever a killing among teenagers when I was a kid. One guy got killed, but it was an accident playing with his dad's gun, you know. Mm -hmm. But nobody, well, that was no such thing as somebody being killed, you know, over a playground stuff. Because I think most killings nowadays are, I would say most killings are drug-related. Because mm -hmm. uh, and most killings are uh, guys messing with another guy's girl, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I don't think nobody leaves home saying I'm going to kill somebody. But if you got a gun, you know, so that's why I'm one of those guys. I don't know whether I want guns to be taken off or what, you know, I don't know. Hey, But if you didn't have a gun, because... I don't think I ever had a gun as a kid. Never even saw a gun much, mm -hmm. you know. So I don't know. All right. Well, last uh, last thing I'll ask you: if you could send a message to everybody, if you wanted, if there's one thing that you wish that you could let everybody know, yeah. what would that be? Life is not if you have your health and you have common sense, not not Albert Einstein sense. Just common everyday sense, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That you can do the most simplest things in reading, because all newspapers are written on the sixth grade level. So you can read the newspaper, or you can read right now. Everything is uh, in the computer. Mm -hmm. You know, if you can, just, and and most of all, man, if you have your health, mm -hmm. you can get up and put your clothes on every day. Please get some of this gravy out here, young people. <laughs> Please, it's out there for the taking. <laughs> get away from standing at home with your mom. <laughs> <laughs> get up, get dressed, and get after it. Yeah, that's it. Hey, I can't wait till you get famous. <laughs> you know what? So I can be sitting there one day and watching TV, you know, because my grandkids, they like, it, they see the pictures of me and Muhammad Ali, you know, and, you know, they mm -hmm. like, James knew Muhammad Ali. Well, no, no, you know, I'm just got a chance. To, uh, when you're young, you, I'm out there, right? So I'm out there in the streets. I'm having a good time. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I always like, and then Vic said, you want to go? We go down to, uh, they had a big ceremony for him down at the Gold House. You know, something, put my little suit on. <laughs> go down. <laughs> go down and hang out. Uh, you know, and just, just hang out and just enjoy life. I just slowed down when I got to being baby back 55. You know, but, you know, man, wasn't nothing for me, man. Like, me and my brother, we sitting over there one night, one Friday night. We having a good time. Let's go to Chicago. We jump in the car, drive to Chicago. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the last time we tried it, we got in the car, and we made it for his terror house. We were so worn out because we left, like, <laughs> at, at 11 o'clock that night, you know. Oh, my god. We get to terror house, man. Man, you know, the beer and everything. <laughs> we pulled over in a in a McDonald's the place and went to sleep. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, I had my fun in life, man. Good. You know, and and I had my fun with white people, black people, uh, Mexican people, uh 
people from the Middle East and, you know, all those places. Yeah, there, man. You know, just, hey, just enjoy it, you know. So, all right, I'm through. This was awesome. Thank you so much for coming over. I really right. enjoyed this. All right, and uh, I got both of my cell phones here with me. Boom. <laughs> awesome. James Sims, thank you so much. Thank you, man. Thank you. And to all the people out there, hey, you know, he might have embellished on one, but not many. <laughs> All right, man. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast. Share it, retweet it, put it everywhere, email it, however you got to get it out there. Please help me. And that really helps me grow the show. Please get your life advice and Uber Stories submissions in. Send those to realtalkwbennyt at gmail.com. Or you can also DM me on any of the social media channels where I am at realtalkwbennyt or bennytomp18. Uber Stories Part 32 will be back next Wednesday. And um, other than that... I hope you enjoyed listening to James as much as I did. This was really great. I am here for the Beasley Boys content. I think we might need to do another whole episode on pure Beasley Boys stories. I love I just love that it, that that these like he just remembers those bad kids from the neighborhood, man. And I think every neighborhood has them, but the fact that he's just like, man, in Beasley Boys and just stuck with them for that long. I just, I love that. So, uh, yeah, that's it. Everybody be good or be good at it. And I will see you next week. I'm Ben Tompkins. That's real talk. <laughs>